What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the E4Sp podcast. And today I have a special guest. He's a professor at University of Connecticut NAG, James Kaufman, who is a psychological uh, professor, um, and he deals with creativeness, uh, why people are creative, why they think they're not creative, but they really are. It's fascinating stuff. I know I learned a ton of things about myself. You don't have to be a Picasso or a Michelangelo or you know a Kanye, right? Uh, you don't have to be at that level. He breaks down all the levels of creativeness, um, and you're going to get a lot out of this podcast and pull things that you can more than likely use in your day-to-day life, but more importantly, help you understand the whys and why nots of, of being creative. So uh, it was a great one. He is a fascinating person, very intelligent, and I uh, appreciate him coming on. So like this video, subscribe to the channel, and hit that bell notification so you get notified every single time this face comes on your channel. I don't even know what that means. Anyway, enjoy this episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast with James Coffin. See you next time. Peace out. What's up, guys? Today's episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They're the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer. This guy. The Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The Lawnmower 4.0. It's got a flashlight. So join over 2 million men worldwide, just like me, that trust Manscaped and get an exclusive offer just for you. You're going to get 20% off plus worldwide free shipping. Use the code EXPLICIT20 at manscaped.com. This episode of the E4 Explicit Podcast is brought to you by Bravo Concealment. Bravo Concealment is known for some of the best high quality and concealable holsters on the market. Located in the great state of Texas, They offer free shipping and unlimited lifetime warranty on all of their products and a 30-day money-back guarantee if you don't like the product. I've been using Bravo Concealment for my gun holsters ever since I got into guns, and the quality is by far, bar none, the top notch in the entire industry that I've seen. And right now, they're doing a buy one, get one free, plus free shipping, the 30-day money-back guarantee, and a lifetime warranty. On top of that, You, my friends, will get 10% off of any product, of any purchase on their website by using Explicit10. Use the code Explicit10 and you'll get 10% off your entire purchase from bravoconcealment.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the E4 Explicit Podcast. I'm Corey and today we have James Kaufman, a professor of psychology uh, from the University of Connecticut, obviously in Connecticut. So thank you so much for coming on, James. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Awesome, awesome. So if you can give everybody, uh, the watchers and listeners, a little synopsis of, of who you are and kind of what your background is for me. Absolutely. My name is James Kaufman. I'm a professor of educational psychology at the University of Connecticut and got my PhD in cognitive psychology, worked at educational testing service for a couple of years. They're the ones who make like the GREs and the SATs. Then was a professor at Cal State San Bernardino for 11 years where I taught critical thinking and creativity and then came out to UConn. It's pretty much I get to talk to students about creativity and I love it. That's awesome, man. Uh, that's kind of why I wanted to reach out to you because um, it's funny. I actually searched um, top top psychologists in the country and you were actually on, I think it was like, they had you on like top 10. Um, so, you know, 
Um, it was, it was pretty cool. So I was like, let me, let me, and then I, I read creativity and I'm like, Hmm, I've always been interested in the whys and the ins and outs of like why people are creative, why people aren't creative. Um, and so I was like, let me reach out to you. So I'm glad you accepted. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about a little bit to, or a lot about today is, um, the ins and outs of creativity. I know there's a lot of people that are listening and watching that are creative, that might not think they're creative, um, that, you know, maybe aren't creative, but they still do something in a creative field. And they're kind of trying to understand, like, is this the right route for me? Um, so, you know, creativity 101 is, is one of your, one of your many books. So let's, let's break down. And, and first off, off the bat, why, why are people, why and how are people, how are they creative? Like, why are they creative? Is there something in the brain that this, they don't have that other people have? I know that whole, like, I'm left-handed too. So like, I don't know, it's like the opposite side of my brain or something. I don't know. It's like that. <laughs> I view creativity less as like a light switch and more like a dimmer switch. So it it's not like here are 10 people and these four are creative and these six are not creative. Uh, I see it more. Um, I mean, I think that anybody is creative at some level mm -hmm. so we when we think of creative we think of genius you know and certainly yeah that is definitely a type of creativity but with the with a guy named ron baguetto we, we kind of came up with these four categories where we start with what we call mini c and that's like the personal creativity that's something that maybe you're trying to do something for the first time and and ten thousand other people have done it but you haven't and you're kind of figuring it out and oh it kind of works and it matters to you that that counts like that that's still creative even if it's not the kind of creativity where you're gonna go and tell everybody hey you won't believe what i did yesterday it matters it, it has meaning and if you keep doing whatever that thing is, you know, so whether it's, it's cooking or drawing or science, you know, at a certain point, you get feedback, you kind of learn, okay, I'm not as good at this, good at this. And when it's other people like it, that's what we call little C. And that's the creativity that that's everywhere, you know, so if you ever go to one of those, like county fairs, where it's outside, and there's usually like a fruit theme or something, you know, and everybody has like, these people are selling food and these people are selling these little things made out of paper clips or whatever. It's this creativity that, you know, it may, it's not like genius level and maybe these people have other like actual full-time jobs, but it's stuff that people can enjoy. Hmm. And then with a certain amount of time and practice, it becomes what we call pro C or, or expert level. And that's usually you're making an impact on the field in some way. It doesn't mean that you're changing the world, but, you know, so if you're a writer, it means you've begun publishing a couple of books and people are reading them. And like the domain itself is kind of taking notice, not just your neighbor or your mom. And then if you keep plugging away and if you're lucky beyond words, and if you're a great that's when it can become big c and that's when your creativity outlives you and you're you're long dead and people are still reading your stuff or watching your movies or 
using your science or whatever. Right. So you had the Picassos, Da Vinci's, like like the the people in history that people always think of as creatives. Um, you know, musicians, Hendrix, you know, uh, Joplin. There's, uh, I mean, endless people that are creative that are you know dead and gone that their that their stuff still lives on. Those are the big C's experts that you're talking about, yes. right? Yeah, man, I, I definitely I can feel the. Um, I feel like I have a, personally, I have a, 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 my directory has been from what you said in the beginning was like the, what was the first C? Mini. Mini and then Mini. little. And then, okay. Yeah. It's funny. Cause you mentioned, you know, your neighbor or your mom, I feel like for a lot of creative people, your immediate family is always your, you know, hopefully your biggest critic in a lot of ways. Um, and they're constructive. I know a lot of people that I know that are very creative, had their dreams shot down by their family and stuff, which is kind of, kind of sucks, you know, and, and that's kind of, that's what happened to not me and it, and it kind of a little bit to where it's like, you know, friends and family weren't, you know, now they're like, Oh, like you, you do some really cool stuff, you know, not now, but like in the last decade, but I remember early on, it was like, Oh, you want to go to, you want to do film? I still have some friends and family. They're like, do you still do that film thing? And I'm like, <laughs> this has gotten me to where I'm at in my career where I can pay my bills and I can, I can do things physically and, and change my life and people around me. So can you kind of give me a little, like, like maybe if you have any kind of insight or, or um, words of wisdom to people that are, are on that mini C um, that are starting out, that are going into the little C that don't have, you know, you know, their niche or their, their thing down pat, and they're just using their friends and family. Do you have any kind of words of wisdom or ideas of how to not maybe either burn yourself out or just kind of get nagged out by people that just don't understand you? Getting feedback is scary. And you're right in that you can get feedback that is so devastating that it, it it creates what sometimes is called creative mortification, where it's just, you're just like, just like that, you know, and, and you just, I can't deal with it. Okay, maybe I'm not supposed to be a filmmaker because clearly I just suck, you know, and, and that, that's obviously not a good space. And a lot of it is, is related to this whole idea of creative metacognition, understanding your strengths and weaknesses and your best domain, your, your best fit. And so it, it's that mix between, so it's, and it's the reason why it can be so hard to give feedback because you wanna walk that line. Because on one hand, you don't want your dream killed. You don't wanna kill somebody else's dream. On the other hand, what do you do if a friend gives you something to read or taste or, you know, and, and it just sucks. What do you do? I mean, it, it, and it's not like I have any magic words for that, um, but it's a slippery slope. You wanna have that right amount of, you know, realism. Like you don't wanna say to somebody, yes, sell everything you own and just move to LA and try out when either they don't have talent or if it's just they have talent, it's a hard field and, and where is that? Incline certainly link, you know, for example, with feedback, if you're linking things to their past performances, like talking about growth aspects you like, 
in terms of as the creator, um, a lot of it also comes down to motivation. So we often will split things. We love splitting things. We love models of twos and threes and fours. But there's this idea of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. And intrinsic means you are passionate about something. You love doing it. You enjoy it. And that's the main reason for doing it. Extrinsic means it's for some external reason. Um, money is a pretty common one, but it can also be praise or fame or a good grade. Um, we can't be fully intrinsic. There's always going to be something that we don't like doing. I mean, I imagine, for example, you probably have to edit the podcast. You have to do, there's probably 50 aspects of doing the podcast that just suck and you do it because you like the other parts. But if we're too extrinsic, like we, we need to hold on to that passion. And what's hard is that getting evaluated, that's one of the things that can kind of trigger extrinsic. I mean, some of it is if you don't have somebody who's giving you the right level of feedback. So if you are showing it to your mom and, and, and your best friend and they're both like, oh, either, oh God, this sucks. Or they just, I don't know, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. I mean, that's where trying to find that peer group, the local, you know, for me, growing up, it was like a writer's group, the people you can share your stuff with, and then you can figure out this person's full of crap, this person's not full of crap, I'm going to not worry about these people say. Um, it's hard. It's Very hard. I mean, there's this guy in Richard, Florida, who does great stuff, where he looks at cities and he finds that there are cities that tend to attract more creative people because creative people like gathering with each other. Mm -hmm. And it is harder to be creative in a total vacuum when you don't have people around you can share your stuff with. And I think it's one reason why one of the really amazing things about the internet is the ability to reach out and find that community. Yeah, 100%. Yes. That's great advice. I think to your point, I, I think it's, you know, as far as like, you know, some words of wisdom too, that, I, that I've experienced and you, you, you couldn't be more correct on that line that's drawn because if you give it to your friends and family, one thing is none of them are, let's just, I'm using film for a, a reference. None of them are film critics. None of them are professional. They have their own likeness and what they like and what they enjoy watching. I might like watching you know, fifties noir, and then some other people might like the matrix and your stuff just does not fall in their category. So it's, it's, I feel like it's almost unfair to give certain people, uh, it's okay to ask them, Hey, do you like this? Or what do you think? And then for you as the individual to not take what they say as the end all be all, um, it, whether it's bad or good, because I feel like it's not going to lead you down that right direction. I know I've made that mistake where I've made something that I thought was amazing. I've given it to people and they shit on it, which is why I've become an, you know, a callous elephant when it comes to, I have a background in sales too. So I've heard, I, you know, I'm used to hearing no and being shit on in that way. So I've been able to, you know, work through that. But I know a lot of people that just, they hear that first no, or they hear that first, like, I don't know, man, or the opposite of what you said, which is a great point is, you know, oh yeah, I love it so much. You know, if your mom's telling you this, don't, don't sell a cow, man. Like take it easy, take a step back um, because, you know, realizing 
that you are good or you're not is very, very important. Um, you know, you might think you're the greatest person ever. And then you go out and you move to New York and you're living under a bridge and you're doing all this stuff and it's just not working out, you know? So your dreams can get killed real quick. Um, you know, I personally took that leap in like 2013 and I just moved to New York and it worked out. It, it, not in the way that I thought it would. I'm not in Hollywood making movies, but it worked out for me. So, you know, I think people need to find what they want and you're right on the passion too. Um, I didn't even think of it like that, where certain stuff I do for passion and certain stuff I do because I got to pay the bills. And you're exactly right. For example, this podcast, um, I actually, I'm, I've been editing for over a decade now, filming for over a decade, and I actually am burnt out and I don't like it unless I'm editing something that I love, that I'm passionate about. For example, this podcast, I enjoy re-watching this five or six times, taking this hour-long podcast and breaking it up to 30 little one-minute clips. I enjoy that. I'll spend all weekend doing it because I'm the the other half of what you said. You know, it's not I'm not looking like at as a as a, a way to get money or whatever. I'm just doing it because I love to do it. I think that's the most important thing is do something that you want to do. But to your point, you have to have both. You have to be able to make something out of it. Um, and then also, you know, be in love with it. I think that's just my personal opinion and my experience. And it's what can be hard is that we sometimes the stuff we love isn't something that can sustain us, you know, and the key is to find the best way of keeping it in your life as much as you can. I mean, if your absolute passion is writing haikus, I mean, that's awesome. And you can write them and you can probably publish them. I am not aware of anybody who's making a living just writing haikus. But that's also when you have the people, like if you look at, okay, why do people choose a job? I mean, generally there's like six reasons. And one is it's a job. You know, it gives you money and you use the money to, you know, then you have career where you're kind of more ambitious, you want to get to the top. And both of these are ones where if you have a creative passion that's your hobby, you don't necessarily need the creative passion at work, you know? I mean, you can, that's awesome. But, you know, and then the other is, I mean, one is it's your passion, that's amazing. Another is it's like this calling where you may not love what you do, but you're feeding the homeless or, or that type of stuff. There's kinship, you love the people you work with. Um, and there's craftsmanship where like, you want to get better, you want to be fine. And, and obviously you can have more than just one of these. Um, but then that, that's one way where if what you love doing, you can make a living at, fantastic. If not, it doesn't mean you got to give it up. Um, right. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, I think a lot of people, I know I personally, I probably have a mix of all six in one way. Some others, you know, some higher than others. The other thing I will say is, one thing that I did early on was um, I had a lot of jobs. I found a job that I liked. I stuck to it. And I basically used that job to finance what I really wanted to do, if that makes sense. I mean, I, this is after college and stuff. I mean, I, pretty much after, after college, I actually never really did anything else other than film. I was lucky enough after I went to school for film, I was, you know, I've traveled I went to Africa. I did documentaries. I was, I was really in it. And, you know, sometimes you gotta, you know, you gotta eat shit, you know, in the, in the beginning um, and really, you know, do those things that you, you, but, but see when you're in it and you really love it, you don't even, 
you know, you know, when you're working 18 hours a day, getting paid a hundred bucks a day in New York, working on a movie set, you're not like, this sucks. You're like, this is amazing. Until you start to realize, like you said, some of this stuff is not sustainable for the long time. I'm thinking I'm in New York and I'm, it's two o'clock in the three o'clock in the morning and I have to get breakfast for the crew and the actors. And I'm like, I don't think I can, I can't support a family like this. I it can't, you start thinking of your future and you're like, so then sometimes you have to pivot. Um, and I was lucky enough to use my creativity and my, my, my talents and go get a job as a creative director at a franchise. So I was able to use what I've learned and what I love to do and make good money from it. And then I started learning other things and I started thinking like, well, what are the things that are going to make me money? Cause that's what motivates me a lot of times but also keep me in a creative space. And I've been able to kind of do that. Um, and I just think it's, it's. Um, I wanna talk, I wanna pivot a little bit into kind of a creative advantage. Um, I personally think creative people have some type of advantage, just like someone who is, you know, a very smart book person, uh, that they're gonna do great at a university more than likely because they understand that way and they did great in school. And I don't know about you, if you have any stats on this, but my experience is most creative people, true creative people aren't the best in school as far as academics go. Um, I know I was absolutely like, I just didn't apply myself because I, I, I think early on I wasn't passionate about chemistry or math. You know what I mean? So I really couldn't dive into it. So uh, two things. One is let's talk about creative advantage. Um, if you have anything on that, I just think there's something there. Absolutely. I mean, Creative people tend to do well in school, not necessarily here, but more likely to do solid. Some of that is that a lot of these constructs overlap a little bit. So like if this is intelligence and this is creativity, they're not here, you know, they're, they're like this, you know. Um, but if I think about, well, what is it that makes a creative person actually, like, what's their real advantage beyond somebody who's just book smart or very hardworking, which are nice, good things. Um, I mean, one big one is a lot of, if you think about personal benefits, what creativity does is a lot of this kind of longer term stuff. So in terms of giving your life meaning, feeling like you have a purpose, the idea of a legacy, a lot of these big picture stuff that can keep people up at night, up at nights. If you think about it, everybody alive is gonna die. And that's an, that's an overwhelming thought, you know? And, and like, how do we not just, just go crazy. Right. And some of it is that this idea of symbolic immortality. So we are, we're going to be there, but something maybe will live on. And there are many ways to get this. It's not just creativity, you know, like, so some people have kids, some people turn to religion, spirituality, some people focus on, well, we're all part of the cosmos and I am inhaling molecules that were breathed in by Julius Caesar. And then comes creativity you know, that I have been part of something or created something that after I'm dead, it's going to linger on this no last. And, mm. and that could be, I mean, we think of Picasso and, and, and of course, 
but it doesn't have to be. I mean, my grandma was a pain. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time. I'm one of the first people to use the Lawn Mower 4.0 for Manscaped, and let me tell you, the craftsmanship on this goddamn thing is insane. It will chip away at all that down there. Trust me. I'm talking from personal experience. I use the, the Lawn Mower, get a little, uh, little, little trimmy, trim, trim, and then I follow up with the ball deodorant. Let me tell you, if you like to go on hikes, if you like to just go outside and it's sweaty or it's hot out, Swamp Ass is non-existent. I could not go anywhere without the ball deodorant. I travel everywhere with it. It is a lifesaver, trust me. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and a grooming experience you'll never forget. The fourth generation trimmer also features a ceramic blade to reduce the risk of accidents. And thanks to their advanced skin safe technology, I feel way more comfortable shaving my boys. The upgraded trimmer also includes an on and off switch that can engage a travel lock. It also gives you the ability to turn on and off the 4000K LED light so you can get a more precise shave. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to cut through that hedge with more guard lengths with sizes one through four. Oh yeah, hey, did I mention um, wireless charging? That's fucking crazy. The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which allows the battery to last way longer than it used to. Man, listen up. If you've been using the same nut trimmer on your face, you've been doing it all wrong. I don't know about you, but I don't want to end up with pubes in my mouth. It's time to get your own ball hair and body trimmer with Manscaped and make me time the best time. And trust me, you'll enhance your confidence if you got some nice smooth boys down there. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code EXPLICIT20 at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. I have a bunch of holsters from Bravo, and one of them is the inside the waistband holster. So this goes inside the waistband if you want to conceal carry. Also, swap it out here, outside the waistband. So this outside the waistband is actually like hella thin, and you can see kind of like how how close to the body it can get. You could take this on the range. Um, you, you can probably conceal this and comfortably do it with you know a hoodie over top or whatever. If you want to open carry, um, it's up to you. They also send out mag pouches, right? So you can throw in an extra mag. You're going to the range. You don't have to unload and reload every single time. You got a little, uh, little hollow point moment. They come in handy if you're on the range, like I said, or if you're concealed carry and you're one of those people that are Gotta have a lot of mags or whatever, um, you know, whatever, whatever your cup of tea is. They also send you these really cool pamphlets. They go into great details in these brochures of how to wear things properly, safety mechanisms, and all the features that all of these holsters have as well. So they really focus on educating their customers, which when it comes to guns, safety and education are number one. They don't have any left-handed holsters except for the Glock 19. I'm a lefty, but the right-handed holsters are so dope and they're so comfortable and concealable that I don't really give a shit. Just learn how to shoot with my right hand. And right now they're doing a buy one, get one free, plus free shipping, the 30-day money-back guarantee, and a lifetime warranty. On top of that, you, my friends, will get 10% off 
of any product of any purchase on their website by using explicit 10. Use the code explicit 10 and you'll get 10% off your entire purchase from bravoconcealment.com. Little, you know, we're not talking, I mean, no music. But I have actually have three of her paintings, but one is less good. But I have two of her paintings that I like a lot. And I'm aware it was just like not the nicest thing I said, but they're flowers. You know, they're pretty. We're not, again, this is not Picasso, but they're pretty. One's red, one's yellow. And I have them in my living room and they're next to another red and yellow kind of tapestry that we found in uh, China. And it looks nice. And you I mean, she's been gone now for about 20 years. And is, you know, is she living on after her death and her artwork? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I mean, not in the way of a Picasso, but it's part of her and, and it matters. And there's something to be said for that. It's one of the most existential fears we all have. And creativity is one of the relatively handful of ways we have of feeling like some part of us can evolve. It's and it's funny, we talk so often about creativity and mental illness. You know, we have this stereotype of mad genius and all this stuff. And I mean, regardless of the truth behind it, and it's generally a lot less than you think, it is not nothing, but it's certainly not. Well, yes, of course. I mean, it's scattered. Well, there's a lot more evidence for it, how much creativity can help us heal how much, I mean, after we've had a trauma or a bad experience, creativity can elevate mood. Creativity can help us grow after this trauma. It's a way of, like whenever something really bad happens, I mean, we need to make sense of it in some way. And, and this is when sometimes people, like let's say you lose, lose a loved one. I mean, sometimes people will start a charity or something in their name. The idea of having something die in vain is a very painful thing creativity. And again, it's really the single way out of something, but it is a way that is powerful to heal after a trauma, for example, elevating mood. It's a way of making sense out of things. It's a way of, you know, a lot of the work on writing or on narratives. We are a species that tells stories and these stories help us heal. They help us make sense of things. They help us not get hung up on things. So much of the creative benefits, the advantage of creativity, and yeah, it's associated with good grades or this or this, and yeah, creative people tend to make a little, but honestly, if you were to say, well, is it better to be creative and intelligent? I mean, for those things, not really. It's this kind of larger meaning, who are you as a person? What do you feel gives you a purpose and a meaning in life? And when something terrible happens, how do you overcome? That is, is very essentially creativity. Right. No, that, that's, that's exactly right. I, I know a lot of people that <clears throat> don't even, I feel like realize they're doing creative things when stuff like that does happen. Um, I have, for example, my fiance, she just started, um, she's not a painter. She's not, she started doing um, like really getting into like going and antiquing for vases and stuff like that, and then bringing them home and then 
repainting them with this like really cool ceramic paint and they look completely different from when she got them so she's doing like a creative thing when she's going and looking for antiques because she enjoys doing that and then she's taking something else and making something out of it creativity uh, creatively and then it's like her her she's just relaxed she's she was doing it last night i was watching football and she's on the kitchen counter she put newspaper out she became like this professional like it's, it's like it's crazy it's like like the dimmer started going up like you referenced earlier and her creative she's a very creative person very intelligent um and I, I love when she kind of taps into those things i love when a lot of people around me tap into those things and sometimes i don't even you know realize that i have a couple i have a friend two friends that are brothers um nick and ryan and honestly it's so weird um they're probably two of the most creative people that i know and they're so they don't i feel like they don't really um acknowledge it and kind of open about it like um, my buddy ryan he creates his uh his kids halloween costumes every year and when i tell you the detail i mean like he could like enter these things in like cosplay events and he would probably win like a mate like the um craftsmanship they're building they always build their own stuff they they wanted to make these really cool uh you know that's that sandbag game that you throw uh, oh I, yeah I, you know what i mean i forget what it's called um they, they made like these really cool boards with their favorite football teams on it. and you look at it and you're like i would I would buy that for 300 bucks at a store at Dick's right now. Cause it has my, and like just the, and then growing up, I never knew them like that. I never knew them to be creative people. And, you know, when it comes to this, like one is a nurse and one works for the post office. So I'm like, okay. Uh, it, it doesn't really match to what, and I've always told them, I'm like, you guys could start an Etsy store and live off that that's how creative they are and they can build these things and come up with these ideas and i really wish people would tap into that more do you see that a lot in your research and in your writings of people that just like i see like you mentioned fairs i go to some of the fairs here in colorado uh antique fairs and there's these wonderfully you know uh you know created thing uh crafts and, and even baked goods and stuff and it's like a husband and wife that are in their forties that, that have always liked to do this stuff, but now they have the time and, and they want to do it. I'm like, if you would have done this 20 years ago, you could have made this a business. And you know what I mean? So do you see that a lot to where people just aren't tapping into that creative side and then turning that into a creative advantage? I mean, I think one of the biggest things is in our minds, creativity. Well, it's usually painting, you know, so we can picture somebody painting maybe playing an instrument, maybe writing. And that's usually about where our images stop. And so, you know, if you're repurposing old bases and finding new things to do with them, if you're making a Halloween costume where in essence, you're capturing something that exists on a smaller scale, these are all things that aren't necessarily we like things that are clearly art. We like things that are blazingly original. It's a very Western, like we, it's much harder to see the creativity involved in refinement or in capturing something or in analyzing. And yet that's absolutely creative. And so there are all these ways that you can be incredibly creative and genuinely not feel it in here because you don't label it creativity because to you, well, you know, creativity isn't 
working with your kids in a costume, that's, you know, that's just me having fun with my kids. Well, yeah, it is. And you're being incredibly creative. That maybe you don't think you're an artist. Well, that's fine. I don't care what you call yourself. But it's being creative. It's, and it's the same way, I mean, scientists, inventors, there are so many areas that you can be creative in. I mean, it, it's one of the things that a lot of people, like another thing most people think is, you know, you're creative and you're not. But creativity is domains and areas and, you know, you can be incredibly creative you know, making Halloween costumes and not at all creative writing poetry or whatever. And so people will try one thing, two things, and it, they don't find their thing. And the conclusion isn't, oh, I guess I'm not creative at painting or trying to play the cello. Instead, they go, well, I guess I'm just not creative. Whereas that would be equivalent of, you know, you try a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you have some pizza, you don't like it, and you decide, I guess I just don't like food. You haven't tried the right food. It doesn't look like food. It's so true. I think that is a, a great point and a very accurate one too. I, I myself do that where I, before we got on, I, I, people tell me all the time, you're so creative, you're this and that. And I'm like, I don't look at myself as being a creative person because I can't draw. I can draw with, for shit. I can't paint, um, but I can paint with my, my ideas and I can like... I actually in film there's um i'm sure people and viewers have heard or seen storyboards and shot lists where they people draw these storyboards and there's some of them are very detailed some of them are stick figures and growing up and you know in my career filming i was a cinematographer so i was the person that was behind the camera and kind of like when you're watching a movie the cinematographer the director of photography and i know you know this but i'm just educating the people um that's like what you're visually seeing some of that a lot of that's the director but visually the colors that's a lot of the cinematographer's decisions and, and making sure they get what the director wants but one thing i always had an issue with is storyboards and shot lists because I was always one to have my shot list was here. So when I have two camera operators or when I have an assistant director or when I have a, uh, you know, the, the camera department or, you know, these people that are need to know what the shot is to set it up. I always had a hard time putting that down on paper or illustrating that because I would just be like, oh yeah, just put that light there. And then, you know, and in my head, it like comes out exactly how it looks. And they're like, well, that took twice as long as what it should have because I didn't do the correct process. But, you know, you're exactly right. I think a lot of people look at creativity as, oh, well, I'm not going to be like Steve Jobs. I'm not going to be this innovator. I'm not going to be this amazing painter or whatever. I think you're right. That Well, I know you're right because like I said, I, I've done that myself. And I think a lot of people don't look at those things as, as creative they might in a little in a little sense but not look at it as like the grand scheme of things of like yes this is a great moment with my children i'm making these costumes but you know if you really wanted to you could probably sell those costumes or sell your services or make something that you're clearly passionate about because i think it's more than just like oh i'm spending some time with my kids and i'm making a, a costume or i'm making a vase or whatever it's like you have some sort of passion there that you're just not realizing i think to its full potential if that makes sense and i mean the only thing i want to jump on is that it 
it's not even that you'd have to make it into a business. Because, as, in, as in, obviously, part of me also always thinks that way. You could, but it's all like, let's say people are watching this and go, yeah, I like doing this thing. I don't know if I have a mind for business. Who cares? Do it, do it for your friends, you know, but do it. Like do don't it. do it once and okay, like kind of, I mean, if you like doing it, and, I mean, make one so all of your friends get neat holiday presents, you know, I, I, I mean, even if yeah. you, because I, I understand what you're thinking. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't know how to deal with Etsy or eBay and I, you know, I don't, I don't have the you know guts or whatever just to say, hey, here's what I did. What if nobody wants it? I get that. Don't let that keep you from creating. You know, it, it's. I mean, I always wanted to be a creative writer when I was a kid. That was my major in college. That was, you know, I wanted to, you know, first it was novels and, and then um, plays. And I remember it was one class. I just remember the sudden insight that whether or not I was as good as I thought I was, whatever, I wasn't good enough to make it. And honestly, it's where a lot of the pros and stuff, expert level, because came in the roots there because in my mind, there was you know, everyday creativity and or greatness. And I knew I wasn't up here. And I had no conception that I, I didn't think about it at all, but I had no conception there might be these different levels and that, you know, maybe I wasn't going to be this amazing novelist, but could I have written a couple novels? Who knows, you know, and I, I kept writing plays for a while and I've been very lucky with that. Um, and now I'm very lucky in that I write about creativity and a lot of those are in my voice, the same voice when I was a writer and would write short stories. but to be able to find those uh, things that are adjacent to your passion to let you continue your passion. I mean, it, which is what you've been able to do, which is what's fantastic. I mean, I feel like it's so, just the other side where somebody loves something, they try it, they don't do it, and then they just lock it in this box and never think about it again, is very common and sad. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's I love that that kind of way of putting it is they put it in this box and they lock it away. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's weird because my, um, my mom actually, um, I remember growing up and she would always, she liked Winnie the Pooh for some reason. So she would draw these pictures of like Eeyore and Tigger and, and they were so good. And she had fantastic, has, she's still alive. She has fantastic writing and or like her, her it's, but growing up, I never looked at it like, wow, my mom's a creative person. And in, in my head, now that you're saying that, I feel like she went and locked that stuff in a box because not like to, you said, not to go make a business out of it or whatever, but just to do it because she enjoys it. Um, it's kind of, I think you're, you, you said it right. It's, it's so common for people to, you know, think that, you know, there's, there's not a middle ground. There's like you said, when you started, it was like, oh, I'm either this or I've got to be like the Picasso, you know what I mean? But there's so much room for other things, you know, as far as like stages of that, like you said, which is fin that's, I didn't even think of it like that. We're so often focused on the product, mm. which again, I mean, I, I get, I'm not gonna say no, I, but if we enjoy the process, because I'm, I'm just picturing like your mom, well, I'm doing this because I know that my son loves it. And then when you get older, well, I don't have that excuse to do it because 
you know, by the time you were in high school, you weren't going, ooh, draw me an Eeyore, you know. <laughs> but it, it, it isn't intuitive to think, well, I like doing it, and even though I don't know what I'm going to do with it, I'm going to keep, you know, drawing Winnie the Pooh. And even if nobody sees it, or even if, okay, I'm just going to do it. And, you know, the next kid I meet, oh, you like Winnie the Pooh. I mean, yeah. it's hard for us to not have this clear cut goal with our creativity. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I agree with you. I think the goal, and there's just, I mean, just talking and kind of understanding it a little bit more, it's like, there's a lot to it. That's just not like, it's not black and white. It's, it's very, there's a lot of gray areas. There's a lot of things that people don't think about. And, and I tend to like, it, like, like it makes me want to have conversations with these people in my life to where I'm like, you gotta acknowledge this and embrace it. And I'll help you and all this stuff. Cause you, you brought up the whole business side of things. It's funny because after college, um, of all my friends, uh, you know, half me, which is, which is I never went to film school. And then the other half was like, thank God I did, because it's like, I could have learned this on the internet, but then like, I wouldn't know these people that are now working in the industry. And that's kind of like the payoff. Um, but one thing I noticed is people didn't know how to turn their job, their, you know, their filmmaking into a, not so much a business, but like you said, something sustainable. Um, and they were always, at, I mean, from down from the, Hey, someone wants me to film a wedding or someone wants me to make a music video. What, what do I send them? How much do I ask for? That's another thing I was curious of is I always tell my friends and my creative people, I'm like, you know, know your worth, you know, if someone's, yeah, someone's always going to do it for cheaper, but know your worth and kind of stick to that. You know, if you have to lower down a little bit, no big deal, but don't cut it in half just because, you know, to, to make a sale or whatever. Do you kind of have anything on that as far as like knowing your worth and, and value when it comes to, when it does come to the business side of things? It's funny because so often creative people are really bad at that. Um, <laughs> I mean, and some of that is we're, we are trained to think of something homemade or that you've done yourself, that it could be a good gift, but you wouldn't sell it to somebody. And, and, and it just, as a result, it's that same discrepancy. So if you figure I'm here, but I'm not up here, you know, or maybe I'm here, but that doesn't mean it's, it's worth nothing. And, and it's hard. I mean, I remember um, when I, I worked for industry, you know, that mentioned that professors never know how much they're worth, which generally is true. I mean, most people either think they're worth way more than they are or, or have no conception of how much mm -hmm. they're worth. And it's a very slippery slope because the risk is the more you focus on stuff, the more you may lose that, that passion. But conversely, you don't want to take advantage of it. You also certainly don't want to lose a chance of being able to do the thing you love as part of your career. Mm -hmm. This is where I've always felt if you have a friend who's really good at the businessy stuff, have and, and you're not, have somebody else do that for you. You know, work out some deal in the same way with a, a real manager. But like, like let's say you don't have a real manager, but you do your art or whatever, have a friend negotiate you and and if you're not that type of person, because I, mean, I have a hard time 
demanding more money for stuff or whatever. And, you know, it, it, it's, it isn't easy. If you know it's not one of your strengths, um, have somebody whose strength like it is. Because it's weird the things we've considered, these are the people we pay and these are the people we don't pay. Mm -hmm. The idea that, I mean, if you put on a show, you're paying the musicians, dear Lord, but somehow it might be okay to just, yeah, no, the actors don't need to be paid. Why not? You know, or with anything, you know, the fact, the idea of, you know, oh, the good, good, good exposure for you as a graphic designer. God, go to hell. You know, I mean. Dude, this is going to go on IMDb. This is going to be great for your reel. This is going to get you, oh, we have a union actor on this film or we have a, a notable director. Well, then I always looked at that. It's like, well, then you should be able to pay me even more. Because if you're having, if you're paying these other people, who are it's if they're notable if they're if it's all these great things they got to be coming with a, a higher price point so you that tells me you have the budget i never looked at it as like oh listen uh, in the first year and a half two years of when i came out of school i didn't ask for a penny i did everything for free because i knew i'm like well my my real is going to be the one that's going to sell me i can't sell myself at this point so i did everything for free because I knew that that would benefit me. And it did. I was able to, some of the shots I was able to get, some of the projects and the people I was able to work with because I did it for free, got me further than, than if I would have been like, hey, can you give me 150 bucks for that day? You know what I mean? So sometimes I think there's a, there's a balance to it. Um, and to your point, you're exactly right. If you don't know, if you have a hard time asking people for money, for help, for certain stuff, you're going to have a hard time negotiating contracts, coming up with a price point, coming up with all of those things. And you're, you're spot on. Find that business person um, or, or someone who is just okay with those things and have them do that for you because you're going to get nickel and dime. You're going to lose out on money. You're going to put in a 14 hour project and get paid for five. Like it's, it's, you know, it's like, it's like I said earlier, there's a lot to it. And I'm glad I'm talking to you. Cause it's like, I don't, th I, I thought about those things years ago. I don't think about them anymore because I don't have to, but I think it's important for people to understand a lot of creative people follow me and watch me. And, and I talk to people all the time that hit me up and you know, my podcast is, is nothing at this point. It, it will be. Um, but I think, you know, it's, you know, a lot of people are hitting me up and like, Hey, how do you, how do you get your guests and how I got you, James? I, I, I froze. Now I'm back. Okay. Um, you know, how I got you. I, I looked up, um, you know, most, uh, influential, um, psychologists, you came up and, you know, I found your, your school email, which professors and scientists that work at universities, they're the easiest to find. We, we are very, very easy to track. Yes. And, I mean, my general feeling is, you know, like, I'll tend to say yes to working on something like this, a larger thing, either I love it, it's working with people I love, or it's money. And, and it's the same way, it depends what somebody's asking. It's like, for example, my general rule is I'll give most people an hour, you know? Um, it's, it's, when it gets to, you know, it is about knowing your worth, knowing 
what's legitimate like investment, so to speak, of your time and what is just you being taken advantage of um, and where you are in your career in, in terms of, because yeah, starting out, absolutely exposure. But when you've been doing something for 10 years, I mean, you don't necessarily need exposure. I mean, it's, it's not really a compliment. <laughs> Yeah, I look at more now as it it's an insult. I don't I don't get that anymore because I don't really go on film sets. I I'll do like forty hour film. I'll do like you said. It's one of those three things. It's I work with people that I love. So, you know those nostalgic guys that I went to high college with. It's like oh we're making this really cool short film. Like we would love for you to DP on it. I'm like awesome. Uh, don't ask for a fee. Don't. It's just because it's fun. I know it's going to be a good time. And then the other two things is if I love doing it or if I'm getting paid for it, which is that's 90% of what I do now. It's like, if you want me to do something, I definitely know my worth and I'm going to ask for it and I'm not going to negotiate. If I know you, I'll hook you up, but I don't negotiate anymore because I don't, I don't have to, because my work at this point can show for itself. So it's, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm talking to you because it's like, you're, you're validating <laughs> all the decisions I've made have been correct. Um, I have, uh, you know, one more question. Do you have an idea of, of any of this? Of, can you teach creativity? Let's say, I know you said that everyone is, has some sort of creativity in them, but uh, whether they don't think they have it or they just, they don't really have like that, like that creative. See, as I'm saying, now you got me thinking like everybody can be creative because I've always thought not everybody is. Um, can you teach it? I think there's two things you can do. Okay. One is you can teach the basic components. So for example, if you look at the creative process, um, there are a bunch of stages and, and everything from making sure you're finding the right problem. You know, so we're, we're so trained to just jump in and solve problems, but very often we are we solving the right problem where, I mean, one of the standard ones I, I'll, I'll use in class is like, if you're noticing that you're losing money every month, you know, the instinct is either, okay, I gotta make more money or I gotta spend less. And certainly those are both good things, but if somebody's hacked your account and is draining money, you can keep doing that for the rest of the time and you're still gonna be losing money. Make sure you're solving the right one. Um, there are, when we're trying to generate ideas, you know, there's things like, okay, you can aim for many different ideas, for many different categories of ideas or super unusual ideas, like there's little strategies you can try. There's, similarly, there's like some lifestyle stuff. I mean, openness to new experiences is the big thing. Try new things, you know, um, try that new restaurant, you know, travel if you can. Um, talk to people whose life experiences are different than yours or who think differently from you. Uh, all this stuff is huge. The other thing is you have teaching the components and then you have nurturing. And that's, I mean, so much that is just, we are trained to not be creative. You know, we're trained and I'm not, I hate people who just blame teachers, just that's A, it's not true and B, it's not fair, but the system in general is just set up. So you got to do this, 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 and very often trying to be creative will end up, you know, you're marked wrong or you lose points because somebody didn't get it or doesn't have your sense of humor or whatever. 
all of us and how that happened, establishing as somebody who's trying to nurture somebody that it's okay, that you know whether whatever they need. So maybe it's I won't judge you at all. If that's, or maybe it's I can give you this positive feedback, or I will give you my honest opinion, wherever they are in that. Okay. And, and that, I mean, as silly as it is, like there have been studies that show that if you just tell people the instructions, yeah, oh, and, and be creative, that helps. I mean, just, just, we are so trained to, okay, well, what answers the person look, is a person looking for? Or if you're asking this question, what are the, the what's the correct answer? Not what's an interesting answer? And so we just suppress it. That's so, that, man, you're like literally telling my story growing up. That's so funny. I, I've been writing stuff down. And one of them is I just wrote teachers. You made a great point of, um, I was lucky enough to, I think it was in ninth or 10th grade. Um, Mr. Groom was his name. Um, and he basically, we were reading The Outsiders, um, the book. and everyone had to write a report on it afterwards. And I, after class, I was like, Hey, um, uh, do you think that I could make a, make a movie on this instead? Can that be my report? And instead of being like, no, you have to do everything else. He said, absolutely. And he's a English teacher. He's not like a, you know, but he's a, he was a very creative. He was one of our younger teachers, very like, you know, to your point of like, everyone looked at him as like a, almost like a weirdo. It's like, I looked at him as like, Oh, well, you're kind of like me. You're, you understand things differently. And he let me do that. And I got it. A, I mean, it was something that I dove into. I mean, I wrote this, I didn't have to really write the script. It was written for me because it was from a book, but I mean, I got all my friends to act in it. And that really set the fire for me to be like, damn, I really like this. And then I, I was known in my town as like, you know, the growing up was like a like not Steven Spielberg, but like they would call me like, oh, you're a little Steven Spielberg. And I would make these, I would run around my town, make these short movies and very, uh, you know, I followed Robert Rodriguez's early career, Steven Spielberg. And it was like, I was trying to match that. And to your point, teachers, um, they definitely get a bad rap because, you know, I was, like I said, lucky enough to have one of those teachers to be like, listen, go explore that a little bit more. And I have to say, he, he really led me down that path, whether he knew it or not. Um, to where I'm at today and what led me to do what I wanted to do. And I think they do get a bad rap. And um, one thing I've, I've seen a lot lately, not even lately, but the last like five to seven years, there's a school right down the street from me that's literally called the Da Vinci School. And it's a school from, I think, like uh, preschool all the way up to like uh, eighth grade. And it's 100% dedicated to creativeness. Uh, it's just, it's like the school for creative people or something like that. It's like a, it's like a mutant. It's like X-Men. <laughs> it's so cool. Cause I see a lot of those schools now and I'm like, man, A, I wish I had that growing up and B, I just think it's so great because so many people, talented people are going to now have that acknowledgement from the jump. It's funny that like thinking about your teacher, Mr. Groom, yeah. Mr. It speaks to another thing about creativity, which is that so many people think of creativity as being chaos or out of control or creativity isn't just doing something different. It has to be relevant to whatever you're trying to do. So like if you made a movie where it was just, here's my expressionist movie and here's a shot of my dog and a shot of this bottle, 
that's not, then he would have been going, hey, what is this? You shot it relevant to the assigned book and it was you showing your understanding and your own thoughts on it in this other form. And so it was creative in all senses of the word. It was relevant, it was useful, appropriate, in addition to being new. It's that thing that so often people don't realize that you know, letting kids be creative doesn't mean having them you know, run off buck naked in the forest or whatever. It's, you know, a little bit of flexibility or, or, okay, what are all the ways you could show that you know something? I mean, so many people think that you can't be creative in math and you can be incredibly creative in math. I mean, the idea of just, well, how many different ways can you solve this problem? All different ways you can do a proof. I mean, recognizing the importance of that is people always say think outside the box and I get it but it's being able to use the box and to think inside the box in a really interesting different way to work within the constraints you have and still persevere I mean Robert Robert Rodriguez is such an amazing example I mean, mariachi was what seven thousand dollars I mean yeah, yeah. If anybody out there wants to read a book, it's called Rebel Without a Crew. That that book was like my Bible, A through uh, college. Um, but when I found it, I was like, "This is amazing." This man just made, and Robert Rodriguez is known for like a lot of a mariachi. Once upon a time in Mexico, um, from dusk till dawn, um, a, a, on Spy Kids. If you like, yeah, <laughs> Spy Kids. Um, he, he's he's a he's an amazing director and he, he's written a lot of things as well. Um, but he's he, he, to, like, just him as an example, I think is like you said, is a great example because he took something for like 7,000 bucks, did it basically all by himself with no named actors, pitched it to Hollywood and Paramount bought it for $750,000. And they, he was allowed to make a movie with Antonio Banderas and, 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 it, and it blew up and he wanted Sundance and tried back all these big film festivals and it set his career up. Uh, but he did that because, and he mentions in the book of professors and, and people that really pushed him to, to, to go, to try it, just go with it. I mean, he obviously was a talented person, um, but I mean, it doesn't always work out that way, but if you have that backing, I think, and that, that foundation of people, whether it's teachers, family, you know, I, I think that stuff is like, it, it, I think it's crucial to have uh, if you're going to be successful in any creative space or successful really at all, to be honest. One of my friends and, and colleagues, Vlad Glavineau, um, he's a sociocultural psychologist. And so he's fascinated in the idea of creativity as this perpetually interactive thing, where even if you're working alone, you have an audience in your mind who you want to see it, and you're drawing from past encounters, which, I mean, like as a filmmaker, would include Robert Rodriguez. So he may not be somebody who's mentored you hands on, but he's mentored you from a distance. And it's that connection that, that we don't always think about as being so essential to creativity, but it, it really is. That's exactly right. You have to, I think, you have to find those people that are. Because I, like you said, he didn't say, "Hey, Corey, let me just you know take you under my wing." It was like I had to find these books and these resources and the internet. Thank God, like in the beginning of our conversation, the internet is a great way to connect. There's um, um, I actually when I before I moved to New York, I went to Tribeca for the first time, and I randomly picked this movie called Point and Shoot 
by Marshall Curry. And um, I picked it just because it sounded cool. I pick it. He's in the, uh, he does a Q&A at the end. I talk to him afterwards. I'm like, hey, man, um, I'd love to just pick your brain. I'm working on a documentary right now. Um, and I want to know what I'm doing and, and send you some stuff. And I was able to create a relationship with him. Uh, and he just last year won a, an Oscar uh, for his for his film. Uh, it's his first time he's done a narrative and wrote a script. Uh, it was a short film category and he, and he won an Oscar for it. And then he, he also has a, he has the shortest film in history. I think it's like, two or three minutes long. It's about when the Nazis came to, to Madison Square Garden. Um, it's called A Night at the Garden. Um, it, it's fantastic. They literally had a, the Nazis had a rally at, at Madison Square Garden in the 40s. Um, and there's footage of it. So he took the footage and made a documentary out of it. Not, he's been nominated a bunch of times, but to your point, the internet allowed me to have a conversation with him. And he fought, he came on my podcast. He was a, after he won, I was like, I got to have you on Marshall. And I drove to Brooklyn and I had him on. Uh, and so having those avenues of ways to connect with people, just like I'm connecting with you right now is so beneficial. And I think a lot of people need to take advantage of that now that they have that at their fingertips, whether it's a Reddit forum or it's a school or, you know, you know, YouTube university. I mean, there's so many ways that you can, kind of tap into those things you know people bash the internet and social media and believe me i get it i've seen you know there's all sorts of bad stuff too of course you know but it's easy to overlook like if you were a creator in the 50s and you wanted to make music or make movies i mean good luck with a studio system and if you weren't one of those eight people or whatever whereas now i mean you know a phone you have like you have almost everything you could want to make a movie in there, and it's. I mean, on the downside is it's a lot harder to curate. So if you were a movie goer in the fifties, well, here are these hundred movies, and now it's here are these twenty thousand. How do you even begin to, to decide? But recognizing, just as using constraints to your advantage, recognizing your resources, figuring out what's out there. And what is it that you have access to? What are your, it's what Vlad calls affordances. What are these things that you may not even realize whether it's, you know, childhood buddy who knows how to do blank or you live near this interesting thing, whatever it is, or, you know, you have a hand-me-down instrument, you know, whatever it is that you have that maybe you never even thought of, you know, it, whether it's you're searching for a way to express yourself creatively or whether it's you are already actively being creative and now it's, well, okay, what are the things around you that you can kind of take advantage of and you, not in a bad way, in a good way, um, and, and you to get inspired from? It, it, it's, it's easy to forget how much you have access to. Yeah, no, that's, I think the internet is a beautiful place. And like you said, it can be dangerous, but if you use it in all the right ways and to your, to your advantage, like you said, in a good way. Um, and yeah, man, you couldn't, I, I just moved to Colorado three months ago and be, before I was shooting my podcast in person and I, I lived in DC. So I had access to like some crazy people like CIA, like all kinds of stuff. So I used what I had and I had people come to my house or I would go to them to make it easy or, Oh, you're a professor at Georgetown in virology. Guess what? I'm coming to you. And so I use those as, as my advantages and you're right. You have to acknowledge and understand, you know, 
your advantages and use them. And you made a good point about um, a, a lot of stuff creative, creatively saturated. So it's much harder now to, it's so funny because I feel like it is harder to be found, but it's also not because you have a thousand avenues that you could push your content out um, and macro micro that to really get eyeballs on it. Like for example, I just started my TikTok about 25 days ago. I just hit 10 million views on my account. Um, I just cracked the 20,000 followers, you know, which on TikTok is like actually not a lot because TikTok is like a growth platform. Um, but the growth that I've seen by just posting quick little clips like this on there is it kind of was like, damn, this, you can do this if you can understand the algorithm and understand the cadence and understand it a little bit. I also have a background in marketing, so I'm able to market myself a little bit differently and more effectively. But I, I that, to, to your point of like re- utilizing those things, I, I, when TikTok came out, I'm like, I'm not using that stupid app. That thing is going to be, you know, a bunch of teenagers dancing. That's not me. Here I am a year later, vi- videos going, you know, getting 2 million a hit. And it's just like, wait, what? I, ne- I mean, I'm so used to my videos hitting a couple thousand maybe. And then when I saw the, the crack a million, I'm like, I'm like, Jesus, you know, and it's, it, it's, it kind of validated like, okay, people are finding my content interesting. It's educational, it's entertainment. So, you know, whether it's TikTok or it's YouTube or whatever your, 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 um, the way that you're publishing it is, it's, I think you, you, people need that validation. Do you think a little bit to keep going, maybe to nurture that? The only danger point becomes when you find that difference between recognizing these are things that I make and distribute and people like them versus when you start crossing too much into tailoring what I think will get the most hits, which mind you, that's not like a bad thing, but that starts being where you want to make sure you don't lose that thing that made you want to do it in the first place. James that literally resonates with me because it's so funny. I'm literally like, I have probably like of the, I've probably posted like 50, 60 videos. And of those, not one has under a thousand views. Most of them have over 10,000. I would say about 20 of them have over half a million. And a couple have only one has one over 1 million has like 1.5. It's so funny. Cause now I'm like, what did that video have? that all these other videos and then i'm sitting here editing a clip and i'm like oh man this thing is gonna kill on tiktok this thing is gonna blow up i post it and it's like it shits the bed it doesn't do anything and you're exactly right that's what i'm doing right now is i'm like what is my audience gonna like versus what do i like to put out and just let me enjoy this this ride while it lasts and just put out the content that i'm publishing and that i want to is kind of what you're saying right and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't you know, notice, oh, well, if I do something that's too long or detailed, whatever, it's just, it's a risk. You know, it's, it's the further you get, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't move this way. It's just, you don't want to lose that thing where they have that gut of, but this is so cool. You, you know, as long as you can still have that. As opposed to, okay, it's a sign, but I bet it'll do well because it has this and this and this and this. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good point. And that's kind of, I've actually, uh, when I started running out of a lot of the videos that I, I was publishing, I was like, I would look back when my, my, con- my account started. And I, of course, I posted all my best content first. 
And then I had like no viewers and I'm like, wait. So I went back and I, I re-uploaded, which is actually pretty common on TikTok. A lot of people do the same post over and over again. I re-uploaded, like, for example, I have uh, a, a short clip of an economist talking about, um, what was he talking about? He was talking about uh, how your college degree is worthless. And he was, he made a great point. Um, but that was the, that, that was the title. So obviously it was very enticing. So it's kind of like a little, look, gotcha. Um, but I, I had like 3000 views the first time I posted it. I just, I posted it the other day, um, a couple, like about a week and a half ago, and it's got 800,000 views. I didn't change anything. I used the same hashtags. I used the same wording, everything. And I think it was because I just had more people now and the algorithm was really in my favor. But to your point, I've also deleted videos and I'm like, oh, that, that didn't even crack a thousand. Let me just delete that and I'll, I'll repurpose it later. And I'm, to your point, I think I am kind of on the line where I'm like, I'm looking at cadences. I'm looking at things that do hit and do not hit and trying to tweak it and use it as best I can without kind of like being one of those people that are just like only posting content that I think or I know is going to work, if that makes sense. To me, it's to me, yeah, the only moment I would start worrying, wondering would be if you're posting something like, yeah, this isn't great, but you know, but as long as it's, you know, and or if let's say you're doing a new podcast and, and you're thinking, okay, well, I should make sure to ask this type of question because and again it's not that it's terrible you know it's not terrible it's just you don't want that to you don't have to be driving the car you know <laughs> dude uh, it's so funny i'm like because some of these videos have like tens of thousands of comments and the comments are like oh, I'm, and that's another thing as i'm trying to stay away from is getting into the comments uh is i'll be like no that's not what they meant or that whatever and then i'll start thinking i'm like hmm, next time i interview this person i'm going to ask this question because i know i'm going to get this response because i know that this is going to what people like and that's i'm doing that I'm, I, I'm not actively doing it i'm thinking about it though uh which is kind of scary <laughs> and again it's that fine line you know i mean there's certainly nothing wrong with having information and using it so that your stuff gets out there, you know? It's, are you still driven by picking people you find interesting or having conversations you wanna have? And then within that tweak, you know, it, it's that, I mean, and it's always, there's that, there's that thing that, because I, I do spend a decent amount of time just wondering what is it that makes this thing succeed and this thing not succeed, whether it's at pro C or big C, and so much of it feels random. Like, why is it we've heard of this person, but not that person? Why is this person credited and not that person? And, and it's, I mean, you're, you're mentioning Steve Jobs. I mean, it's not like he was the technical genius behind this stuff. He wasn't. I mean, and I'm not saying it shouldn't get credit it's just what does it make this person the face of something and this person behind the scenes how much is intentional how much is random um why is this movie still remembered and loved and this one not um and so much i mean one of the best movies i've ever seen because I, I went to college also to film oriented school and so you know took classes and i, I discovered this movie called man facing southeast brilliant argentinian movie made in the 80s it was released on Laserdisc and VHS. 
But then along comes DVD, and just because of the quirks of release dates, it wasn't released on DVD. Well, that means it wasn't released on Blu-ray. It's not available anywhere streaming. Wow. You're not going to find anybody who's seen it, really. But it's this amazing Argentinian movie. It's, it was a similar idea to the terrible movie, K-Pax. I'm not, you know, whether or not it should have been real, but it's reasons out of its control. You can't. You can find it, but um, who determines that? What, you know, why is groups remembered and not these? It's, it's, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. And it's, you, you actually make a good point because I, I noticed that a lot on, like, like I said, I'm in marketing. So I understand algorithms. I understand like Facebook, Google, YouTube. I understand all these things on a marketing side of things, but which is easy because it's like, if I'm paying for advertisement, I know exactly what my return on investment is going to be on TikTok, on, 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 even on YouTube and stuff like that, that you're not paying for. It very much is a crapshoot almost to where I, I scroll on some videos and it's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I didn't get any entertainment value. I didn't get any educational value. I didn't get anything from it. And it has 10 million views. And I'm like, literally why? And, and it's to your point, it's just like, is it so, is it so like, who's deciding this? You know what I mean? Like, uh, did it just get so many views because it's so dumb and pointless that people are just commenting and because I, I read some of the comments and they are literally like, I didn't, I got nothing from this. People say that on my podcast. They're like, you know, it's so funny. They shit on me. I, I always kill people with kindness and they'll be like, who is this guy with this beard? What does he know? And I'm like, he doesn't know anything, you know, like, so I kind of make fun of it. And then I actually get a lot of people say like, I like how you do that versus me going in and going and be like, well, fuck you, man. You know, I think that's stupid. Um, but to your point, it's like some of the videos I see, I'm like, why, why, you know? And I, I always wonder, is it somebody who got lucky or somebody who knows how to manipulate the algorithm perfectly? And I mean, it's the same way like, like spam and clickbait must work because there's still money in it, you know? And, and if there wasn't, it would be gone. Right, yeah, I, I think, yeah, spam and I use clickbait a little bit, not, not to the extreme like, teams where you're like here's the top 10 ways your wife is going to reasons why they're going to leave you and then none of the reasons are in there after you read the freaking article um or like the, the best ones are like you know no, tip number 37 is going to blow your socks off i get to 37 and it's like i gotta sign up for a goddamn newsletter um but like i, I use it to like I'll, I'll take like a quote that someone says and i typically use like a clip that's like 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 uh, i talk about columbine biggest video is me talking about columbine um, and I'm quoting Dave Cullen, who wrote the book on Columbine. And I'm like, 99% of people don't even, I said, 99% of people think it happened. This, 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 this trench comb, all this stuff. And I was like, that's not true. None of that's true. They weren't in the trench comb mafia. They weren't bullied. Like my point was the media drew it out to be this thing that it wasn't. And I was quoting someone, God the comments and the, the, I mean, the people are st stitching me, which means they can take my video, put it on their account, play a little bit of it, and then give like feedback or they can make a video of their own. And it's so funny, some of the stuff that people say, but I use clickbait a little bit, but I, I wouldn't even consider it clickbait. I would consider it just more of like, I'm taking a piece of the most interesting piece of that content. That way it grabs the attention. You know what I mean? 
there's a difference between clickbait and just marketing and, and <laughs> true i mean and and there's no there's no shame in wanting your work to get out there i mean it's it's funny we have this image of we have these images of what a creator should be like or should do and it's the same way we're used to assuming that somebody who doesn't do a whole lot spends more time on it. And like if I, if I say picture the person who writes like the great American novel or whatever, and you, how many novels has that person written over their lifetime? And you probably go like three or four. But if you look at the actual, what's the, what do the numbers say? People who write more tend to write the better stuff too, because that's just the way it works. We, right. So like the person who writes 70 books, I mean, obviously, yes, you people write crap but the best stuff is usually written by people who also write a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Sometimes these things that you think, Oh, you know, marketing too much or doing too much. I mean, look, you look at Charles Dickens and Mark Twain. I mean, these were the people today who would be on TV and have podcasts and be true. The stuff they're exact to their advantage. That's so interesting. I never thought of it like that. I wonder if, damn that kind of makes me like think of a lot of people back in the day of like what their podcast would have been what you know if they had this type of medium to talk or or do that oh my god could you imagine mark twain on a podcast and me can you take her or me charles dickens we, oh, oh you have to go to his school and read his books he was giving like tours standing room only people were like waiting by the docks what happens next wow i mean He'd be the one doing a true crime podcast going, and then she opened the door and well, wait till next week. Yeah. Wait, wait. That's so funny. That's crazy. It's different. It is different. Um, one last question. I'll let you get out of here. Um, are there any rules to creativity? That's a good question. Um, I guess from a psychology point of view, not like, I mean, I, I don't know if there are rules or not, but like from, in your, in your line of work and stuff like that, as far as maybe how the brain works and cognitively, are there any rules that you either should practice, you shouldn't, you should break, you shouldn't break and stuff like that? The incredibly unsexy answer is that almost any of those headlines you see do this to be a creative genius, aren't you? Um, or they're kind of sort of true. If there was a quick and easy thing, Believe me, I'd be out there making 10 times what I make. Um, that said, I think people don't, people emphasize, people think to their heads the new aspect is more important than something useful or relevant. And it really needs to be both. You don't, when you're brainstorming, we want to gravitate towards the ideas that are kind of batshit insane, but those aren't necessarily the best ideas. Um, I think the more that you can be open, that's one of the most consistent things you're going to find. Openness to experience, openness to ideas, these are the things that are just associated. I also think the way that you would train anything is pretty similar with creativity. Practice, do it over and over again. Um, you're gonna fail a lot. And much like my dog is failing, right now my barking dog. Um, you know, that it takes effort. It's boring at times. Um, if you get blocked, 
um, which is one of the big things also that happens when I get blocked. I mean, a lot of times. And you're talking, be specific, blocked, you mean like uh, like a writer's block or creative block? Yes, yes. Okay. Like a creative block. Um, most of the research indicates um, you do something in the same general area. So let's say that you are, are writing and you're blocked. Take a little break, but then write something else. Like, don't necessarily throw yourself into a different area. And also, don't just keep trying to write the same thing and just freak out. Um, but stick in the same domain. Um, pay attention to when I read. Mean, personally, I always find that I get my idea that I'm doing something where my, my body has to do something that my brain doesn't, like, like driving, showering type stuff. Dude, James, that's so on point. I'll let you finish after I, I say this one thing, but literally my best ideas come when I'm driving by myself or I'm in the shower, as cliche as that sounds. Um, and it's funny, I'm, I, I actually kind of forgot to talk about writer's block, or just not even writer's, but just creative block, because I think that's, I, I deal with that all the time. I'm like, oh, who am I going to interview? Or what am I going to, what's my going to be my next film? Or what project am I going to work on? And how am I going to do this? I think that's very important to touch on if you want to after your your comments. But to your point, that's this is how you kind of get out of almost like a writer's block, right? Is is thinking of those things where you're physically like I'll go on a hike sometimes. Like me and my fiance go on hikes a lot. A, a great way to clear your mind is going out in nature and just it's just kind of like taking a deep breath and just like a lot of things come back to me and I'm like my mind is like focused on those things when I get back home. If that makes sense. I, I mean it's. But also, if whatever works for you is different or random, do that thing. You know, it's like we're both talking, you know, driving or showering, showering regardless, um, you know, hiking. But if, if somebody listening gets their ideas about doing this random ass thing, it doesn't make sense, do that. If it works, do it. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing holy about it. I mean, the, the same way. The advice that I've heard that I really love is that if it's good enough to do, it's good enough to be terrible. It's, it's better to just do it. I mean, perfectionism is actually negatively associated with creativity. It's, and again, I'm not saying be sloppy, but it doesn't need to be perfect. You know, better to have it done and then edit than hold off and wait and be the person who never shows it to anybody, assuming that's your goal. I mean, if the process is fun, do the process. But if you want that product, it means being vulnerable and it means doing bad work sometimes. Yeah, that's, that is, uh, once again, man, you're freaking like, yeah, I feel like you do this for a living. Like you talk about creativity for a living or something, because that is that's my probably one of my biggest fights to myself internally is 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 one i love the process like me making a podcast this is the process like the final product is the final product but this is the process of coming up with who am i going to interview what questions am i going to ask the interview the like that's all the process and i love it but it's so funny because i'll make an intro video i used to not make intro videos i just used to put it out there but now i make an intro video um because i want to give a little people some people like a 30 second to a minute kind of synopsis of what you're about to listen to and watch um i'm also testing it because if it's if i'm seeing like because I'll, I'll know if it's a drop off after if it's like after a minute if there's a drop off i'm just going to nix my intros because i'd rather just get right into it um but 
I always have kind of an anxiety attack when I'm about to publish something because I'm like, is it perfect? Is it, you know, did I put, did I put all the lower thirds in? Did I do the intro right? Did I, is, I just now started having sponsors. So is my sponsor video in there? Like, it's like, it's, it's so funny you say that because I'm, uh, I'm my biggest critic and I would consider myself a perfectionist in certain ways. I'm definitely not a perfectionist in a lot of ways where I maybe should be, but um, uh, I, I'm very much like a, uh, um, I, I wait, a, I wait, you know, I'm a procrastinator as well. Um, I'm, you should see my desk. It's not the most organized, but I, I think, you know, and those are all stigmas. I think of creativity for one. I know a lot of organized creative people, um, but that's funny. You point that out because I have, I deal with that as well as before I publish something, but, but to your point, I always talk to myself and I'm like, you know what, this is better to be out there than to be sitting in my editing bay for two months. While you're getting more and more anxious. Right. Right. And then thinking, and I haven't done it and I, and I haven't put anything out recently. Right. Yeah. I think it's always better to just, like you said, put it out there, even if it's not what you think is perfect. Cause a lot of videos I put out, people were like, Oh my God, this is so good. And I'm thinking like, that was going to be the worst podcast I've ever done. It's, you know what I mean? I think a lot of people get in their own head. And it's funny how much of this stuff is true for any field. I mean, right. I write a whole bunch of articles and there are articles that in my mind, this is just amazing. And then like 10 people read it and then articles like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And why is everybody citing this? And I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, and I don't always fully understand why. And I try not to overthink it because, you know. I think that's a big part is in a nutshell, creativity, you shouldn't really overthink it. And I think a lot of people do. And, and it's not to say, yes, embrace chaos and impulsivity, but creativity doesn't need to come with baggage. It doesn't need to come with the anxiety or the stress or the, um, I'm not being productive enough or, I mean, creativity can be such a wonderful, positive mental health thing and such a way of coping with stress and gaining self-insight and, and this, this fun and you can connect with people. And obviously when it becomes not just a hobby, but kind of part of your job, there is that trade-off, you know, but to not lose that. Right. Those are all great points. And I think the people listening and watching, you know, I know I've learned a lot. I've been able to kind of, you've been able to open up my eyes a little bit more about like, you know, the things that I, I, I haven't had to think about in a long time that now I'm like, I'm always wondering why I'm thinking or I'm doing a certain thing. And I think I now have an answer to that. And I hope a lot of people listening and watching who maybe are listening to my podcast and they're like, man, I have some really cool ideas or I have some really cool, interesting people I could talk to. I would love for you to create a podcast or create anything that you want to do. Um, so I really hope like hearing you talk and me talk about our experiences and all, all the knowledge you have is going to help people listening and watching kind of just maybe push them over that, that cliff to, to, in a good way. In a good way. <laughs> in a good way, man. But hey, James, I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about creativity. Um, something that I've always obviously been in tune with and I've always been curious of the whys, you know, so I appreciate that. 
It's my pleasure. This, this has been fun. I'm looking forward to seeing what else you do. Awesome, and- man. Thank you so much. And that's another episode for the E4 Explosive Podcast. And we'll see you next time. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code explicit20 at manscaped.com. That's right. 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code explicit20 at manscaped.com. Unlock that confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And right now they're doing a buy one, get one free plus free shipping, the 30-day money-back guarantee, and a lifetime warranty. On top of that, you, my friends, will get 10% off of any product, of any purchase on their website by using explicit10. Use the code explicit10 and you'll get 10% off your entire purchase from bravoconcealment.com.